Well, hello, everyone. Today, I get a chance to interview someone that I've respected from afar. I've talked with and gotten to know because we worked in the same organization, but yet never really had a chance to get to know until today. So I'm looking forward to today, Dr. Ingrid Ferro, because this is my first chance where we have a long, like 30 minutes to have a conversation that I don't think we've ever had before. And it's about time. Thank you, Tommy. I've been looking forward to this also. Yeah, Ingrid, let me ask you, I mean, I, here I am looking at your resume, your uh, LinkedIn profile. It seems like you had a career in three different, look, right now, currently, you are a visiting professor at Northern Seminary, and you're teaching a lot of, is a uh, visiting professor of Old Testament, all of that. You were the former Dean of Academic Affairs. Uh, but before that, you were working in dietitian, health, and then in, in insurance. Talk to me about that journey, how you ended to doing what you're doing now. Certainly. Yes, I, I uh, began. Well, actually, when I started college, I wanted to be an artist. Uh, but uh, my parents said that I couldn't earn money doing that. And so I had to be a dietitian. So I was told, basically. But uh, it was a great career. And I uh, worked my way through working in hospitals. I was an associate yeah. professor of nutrition and dietetics in Illinois also for a, a period of time. And But um, during that time, I had gotten married to a man who was training to be a, a pastor. And at the time, I was also in a church that told me the only way a woman could be involved in ministry was to be married to someone in ministry. Uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, it was... Yeah. Yeah, women were supposed to be quiet and, you know, and uh, support their husbands and raise children. You know, that was that was the paradigm I I was in. That was a long time ago. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Some there are certainly uh, some churches that hold that very similar view. But uh, so I uh, I'm again, I married this man who had a third of the New Testament memorized. He was leading Bible studies and so forth. But he was also unfaithful and abusive. And so, and he also started just investing money in all kinds of crazy things because he wanted to become rich quick and was not making good decisions. And again, I was taught I was supposed to be the submissive wife and just wow. nod my head. So yeah. here I was working and he was putting us deeper and deeper in debt. So I ended up taking on uh, beginning in insurance, uh, largely just to pay our debt. So wow. uh, and then yeah. the abuse continued. Um, when I, well, when he broke my nose at one point, I finally went to the pastor and the pastor told me to go home and love my husband. So yeah. I went home and didn't again, speak of any of it until after yeah. he tried to kill me. And then the Lord, when my life was spared, the Lord told me if I stayed, I would die. And so I tried to seek reconciliation. We tried counseling, but he, um, he refused to admit the things that he had done. And we got a divorce. And then I thought, now I will never be in ministry. I have yeah. no hope of having anything having to do with Christian ministry again. Uh, but I had to pay off all of his debt because he had also quit working. So that's how I got involved in insurance even more. For five years, I was in both nutrition and insurance, but I built a, a very successful uh, insurance industry. I had just in the Chicagoland area, 350 agents that I was paying commissions to. And I had become a workaholic, really, because I did not want to feel what I felt or hear my own thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but it was during that time that the Lord got hold of me because I had also really just about given up on God. I would be driving in my car crying and and, and uh, 
but I knew I couldn't abandon God, but I had so many questions about my own life and also, of course, just seeing all the suffering and everything around me. And so I was questioning, who is this God? God, how can I believe in you? And and so I was just crying out to God. And, and it was during that time that I sensed God speaking to me and telling me to go get answers for myself from scripture. And for me, he said, you get it from the Greek and the Hebrew. <laughs> so wow. that's what led me to studying studying uh, theology and studying my that journey, that third career. So that's a real, very, very quick snapshot of, uh, of why I had these three different careers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there's so many different things. Ingrid, thank you so much for sharing. Even with your past and with your former husband and all that stuff is, as you look back, how did that change you as a person, who you are today? Yeah. Of course, during the time, I I was such a kind, gentle, you know, I had never confronted anybody. I was just get along, smile, don't let people know you have problems. Uh, but I could not confront anybody. Uh, yeah. I was a very fearful person. And I was afraid to even talk in public and so forth. But yet I had these careers that I had done very well. And, and uh, but um, again, fear was such a driving thing in me. I was afraid of, of. A, just a lot of things. Fear really led my life, but that was yeah. also embedded in the way I was raised. I was raised to be very fearful and and uh, not believe that I can actually speak my own mind and so forth. So there were all, there was a whole lifetime of things yeah. leading up to the decisions that I made. And uh, but the beautiful thing is, as the Lord started speaking to me through Scripture, as I started studying and getting into the Greek and Hebrew, and also as I started sharing my story a little bit, a little bit more and more, then there was a process where I was also crying out to God for understanding. And so all of all of my life experiences um, led me to, from questioning God as far as I didn't know if God was good. I didn't know if God loved me. And I remember for three years, I was praying the prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 that I would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. Because I would say, God, I know you love me, but for me, it's just a theological construct. The Bible yeah. says that, but I don't know that you love me. And I didn't know if God was good. I didn't know if God was just. And so these questions continued to just burn within me as I was seeking to figure out life and uh, trying to get answers from scripture as well. Yeah, yeah. Ingrid, uh, hearing you talk a lot of times, it reminds me of a lot of my own struggles growing up a lot of times, being bullied, whether it's because of my weight or who I was and all that stuff. I grew with so much anger, so much anger deep within me. And then I got involved in church through our youth pastor, but it was also through that ministry that Ingrid, I started getting caught up in doing ministry for the attention because it was the first time in my life people said, Tom, you're doing a great job. Wow, you're really good at this. Ingrid, I started eating that up. That really happened all throughout my high school. In college, I started eating it up. I came back home, worked with our home church, with the high school and youth counselors, and I love the students that I worked with, but I love what people said about me even more. I remember I finally sat down with our church elders in my church here in Chinatown, and I said, look, I'm graduating seminary, but I need your help. I need you to hold me accountable. I remember I shared that with all of those guys about my struggles with anger, all that stuff. And I remember, Ingrid, they said to me, now you have heart issues. 
in your life that you've been hiding for a long time. That we do not believe that you have a future in ministry. You do not have a future in this church. You do not have a future. Uh, you do not have any internship. And here I was volunteering for 18 years. The next week I sat there in service and they issued a bulletin. Tommy Lee has decided to step down from the college ministry. Well, no one ever told me that. Ingrid, I think I became so angry. I just wanted to do things to stick it to them, to show them what. And it took me years of sitting counseling to wrestle with some of those different things. Because, And the one thing my counselor said is you have to learn how to embrace and realize the good and the bad has created you to the person that you are today. And you have to be able to be okay with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's certainly something that as I continued to wrestle with my issues also, yeah. that certainly we all have heart issues, you know, yeah. all of us. Uh, but as, as I began to allow myself to face them and so yeah. much of, of my work now is just encouraged. Let's talk about the struggles. Let's talk about yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. the abuse, the evil, and yeah. let's get it out there because when we're burying it, we can't deal with it. We yeah. cannot heal from it and we can't heal from it alone and we can't heal from it if we hide it and yeah. so it says we bring it up and look at it and allow ourselves to admit the things that we're feeling in a safe environment so i always encourage counseling but also find find friends find fellowship i encourage churches quit telling people to just come and smile you know the churches yeah. that i was in if i when i told them about any of my problems later they would they would kind of run from me. It was like, oh, and sometimes they would say really helpful things like, well, what sin have you done that brought this on your life? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I find that even now in my role, I mean, look, it's been over 10, 12 years later, even my work with our young marketplace leaders in Indonesia or Hong Kong or in Africa, and I, the one time I always hear people say, Tommy, why are you so open with your weaknesses and your struggle? I said, it's nothing to hide. Because God used all of those things and started doing something in my heart. And I look back, I think all the things that happened to me made me more grounded. I don't take myself too seriously. I don't get caught up in myself. I'm willing to give power away. I think all of that created me where it became secure who, who God wanted me to be. Yes, that is such a good point because that is an... an I love how you say you learn to, uh, in a sense, not take yourself so seriously, which doesn't mean by any means we're belittling ourselves. But yeah. when I do make a mistake, it's like, oh, you know, everybody does. <laughs> it's yes, not so yeah. big a deal. What can I learn? That was it was something that I learned from. Uh, it was actually an Israeli educator who was who said that, you know, in most cultures, when when you get something wrong from the time that you're a small child, they'll say, oh, you failed or, oh, yeah. shame on you. And you're made to feel terrible when you get something wrong, especially in school or in the home. And they said, uh, what we do is we say, when you get something wrong, we say, congratulations, you've learned something new. And yeah. I so love that because that is really scripture because in scripture, everybody failed except for Jesus. There's only one hero and that's Jesus. Yeah. Correct, 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 correct massive mistakes, dysfunctional families. It doesn't matter if they were rich or poor, famous or, or unnamed, they all had problems, but, yeah. and the Bible is so transparent about it. And that was one of the things that drew me in also is being able to read these stories of people that went through hardships. So uh, the story of Joseph, for example, yeah. he was the favored son, but 
you know, betrayed by his brothers. They tried to kill him off and sell him, you know, tra they human trafficked their own brother. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so many things went wrong, but he did not lose his faith in God. He didn't pretend that any of these things were okay. He said, you know, they were terrible. I don't want to remember them. He even named his first son, you know, let me forget the past basically. But, uh, but he continued to have faith in God. So I learned from these stories. And that's one of the reasons I came to love the Old Testament yeah. because the honesty, but yet still having trust that God is not done yet. God is at work in the midst of no matter how bad it is, I can trust God and walk with God through the hardships. And he changes me in the process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't you remember even the Old Testament, right? Uh, the story of Joseph as well, too. Jacob wrestles with his uncle. I mean, Jacob is meeting with his uncle Esau. And Esau says, I'm coming with all my men. And Jacob's probably thinking Esau's out there to come uh, get revenge on me. And the scripture goes, Esau comes and he hugs Jacob. And the writer of Genesis sits there and talks about all the wives with their kids. and all, But they only mention one kid by name. Joseph. I wonder if the writer of Genesis is telling us that Joseph is watching his uncle Esau, who had every right to take revenge on his father, instead forgives him. And that becomes a guiding force and example for him many years later. Mm. Yeah, that's certainly, certainly possible. It's, um, yeah, because, yeah, Esau, the, you know, the, the, the brother who, had wanted to kill him. There was yeah. there was that bit of reconciliation over time that that they did get to see, yeah. but um, but yeah, wrestling with God. I also love the fact that of that story of Jacob wrestling with God yeah. because that he is he the whole country the whole nation becomes named after the one who wrestles with god and god invited him into that wrestling match and that was something god actually invited me into a wrestling match with my own struggles and said let's talk it out let's work it out let's wrestle this out and so God encourage, he invites us, wrestle with me, ask me anything. So often I meet Christians who are taught, don't question God. Don't. God's always asking questions of us and we're allowed to ask questions of him. He invites yeah. us into that and says, come on, let's talk. Yeah. Ingrid, I was just reading 1 Kings 17, the death of the widow's son and Elijah brings the widow's son up to his room. He doesn't know what's happening. He's wrestling with God. Why in the world did you allow this to happen? And it's okay to wrestle with God. Yes, yeah. And that is, you know, because God is at work. I remember during uh, one season of, a season of uh, more hardships and so forth happening. And and I was I was just praying. I was I was in uh, divinity school and and the Lord dropped Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for, the, for you are with me. And I remember thinking, you know, that's a good verse. And then I just heard the spirit of God just whisper, the operative word here for you is through. Don't lay down in the valley of the shadow of death. Don't set up your camp in the dark shadows. Don't set up your camp in the, the valley of problems, but go through it because I'm with you. Fear nothing bad because I'm with you to bring you through this dark time. And that also is just so powerful. And that that's what we see in scripture. And that's what God wants our lives to reflect, how God brings us through these dark times. Before we talk about your book, let me ask you one quick question, and that involves your time in the marketplace. You excelled. I mean, as I talk with you, Dr. Ingrid Farrell, you are a genius. It seems like whether it's insurance or everything that you touch, you have 
great success mm. and you've really done well, how does that inform you as you teach students today? Uh, because a lot of times I find within the ministry world, I built cell towers for 10 years. Mm -hmm. It was always deadlines, everything like that. But I find a lot of times with ministry, hey, you got to have grace. You, It's okay if you don't get it done. Sometimes there's not urgency. How did your success in the marketplace inform you of, as you're educating and training t uh, students today? There's a, a word that uh, I that I love, and it's the word grit. And yeah. uh, there was actually a Harvard study uh, done of, um, it's one of the longest studies done of trying to find out what causes a person to be successful. And they had uh, very wealthy families. They had very poor families, highly educated, uh, barely educated, and they tra tracked their success over 40 years, both in their business as well as in their family. And they found they they used the word grit. They said more than your your financial background, your educational background, your socio socioeconomic class. They said the main indicator of who succeeded in their family and in their their work was grit. And I found that it's just not giving up. And and that's something certainly God helps us do. But just in talking with people, even if you're late, even if it's slow, no matter where you are starting from, to just keep on going. And uh, you know, even w whatever somebody's wrestling with is just just keep on going. Try to you know try to be creative, but just live another day. Try something new. And I remember through some of my my darkest times also reading stories of people who were being tortured in other countries. And I would say, okay, Lord, I'm not being tortured. You know, I have it better than, you know, and counting, being thankful. So being thankful helps so much. Uh, being thankful and just keep on going. Just keep on going. You wrote your book, Demystifying Evil, that comes out in later on this year. What made you decide to write this book? It was as much as anything and maybe more than anything in my life, I felt like it was an assignment from God it. because it's um, uh, I had already written the academic version, Evil in Genesis, which was you know, a rewrite of my dissertation from the Hebrew text of Genesis. But I knew that I felt well, let me say that. Let me say it this way. Every time I would share my story, whether it was in, at conferences, retreats uh, in churches, people would come forward and frequently talk to me about abuse or hardship that they had experienced. They would come forward for the first time or things that they were wrestling with. And so I found that the more I spoke with people and shared my story, that people would respond and it was helping people. And so this book is a combination that the subtitle is a biblical and personal approach because I I include my story and other people's stories as well. And I blend that with biblical studies, just solid biblical study. So that, and that is how God taught me. And as I was, especially when I was working on my PhD, I would be in the biblical text, the Greek or the Hebrew, and I'd be going along and the Lord would stop. I would stop at a place and, and a clip from something difficult, a hardship in my life would pop up and, and, and I would feel the spirit pointing, saying, this is where that evil came in. So recognizing evil comes from many different sources. And if we don't talk about it, 
were not prepared. N.T. Wright in his book, Evil and the Justice of God, says most people face evil in three ways. First, they don't expect it to happen. So second, when evil happens, it slaps them in the face. And he said, third, therefore, they tend to respond in immature and dangerous ways. And I saw how in my life, when th bad things would happen, I would just be thrown off. And most people I know, it's like, oh my gosh, what happened? Why did this happen? And they start looking for somebody to blame and, and so forth. And so I realized that the more I studied it and understood and planned ahead, because suffering is going to happen to everybody, evil and suffering happens in everybody's life. It's just a matter of when, how much, and how bad. But if we can talk about it in advance and know that these hardships are going to happen, but God is going to walk with me through it, but also I need to develop a framework. So this helps develop a framework for evaluating when something, when evil slaps you in the face to go, okay, wait a minute, instead of being pushed over to stop and say, all right, where did this come from? And it, what can I do about it? What is my role? What can be my role? And to be able to go to evaluate it, go to God in prayer, get a strategy for how to deal with it and overcome the, the, the emotional blow that hits you at first and be able to, to be more uh, rational working through it as well as spiritual in trusting in God to walk you through the hardship. So that was my motivation for writing the book, because I saw that it was helping people. The things that God taught me through my own life and through my studies in scripture blended together. And that's what we need. We need to be able to apply scripture and biblical principles to, the li to living our lives in a difficult world. Yeah, yeah. Ingrid, and even with my own experience, a lot of times it is, we kind of expect evil sometimes in amongst those who are not Christ followers, because you know, a lot of times they, they don't have a pattern that they, it is the Christians a lot of times when they turn out to be evil leaders that they don't know how to deal and navigate through it. What are some of your best advice on how to deal with leaders who are evil and they're just not good people? Right. And we certainly know, you know, from things that we've been through that uh, Christians or people that call themselves Christians, and I'm not judging their hearts, you know, but uh, sometimes um, they, we can be hurt the most by the people we expect the most from. And so uh, Christian leaders, sometimes family members and so forth, when we experience evil from them, hardship, abuse, it can it, it can throw us off so badly. But we have to when we acknowledge it when we can recognize, oh, wait a minute, this person is not living up to the standards of scripture. They are not demonstrating love as, as scripture shows. They're not demonstrating the fruit of the spirit. They, they're, and frequently we can acknowledge somebody is being abusive, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically. There are a lot of different ways that abuse can manifest and that evil can manifest. Lying, gossiping, so many different ways. And so for us to just recognize that every human being is fallen um, and people who, uh, who are abusers generally have been abused themselves. So I can have a little bit of compassion. It doesn't mean that I, I'm going to okay it, but I have to realize, okay, this is a person who never dealt with their trauma, their abuse or whatever. And now they're inflicting that on me. And it is not my role to accept that. I don't have to take it. So I so to go to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, here's what's happening, and to talk it out with God, wrestle with God through it and say, what should my response be? But one of the things that I learned the hard way is that it is not good 
and it is not nice to allow evil to run over us. And that is something we as Christians really need to grab hold of because I always just tried to be nice. And so I was run over, backed up, run over, backed up. And that was pretty much the story of my life until I learned from the Lord, no, we are not. When people came to throw Jesus off a cliff, he just walked through it. When people came to, he, he didn't just take it. He said, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And the Lord said, nobody's supposed to take our life, our life force, our creativity, our inventions, our, you know, our personhood. Nobody is supposed to take that from us. If we choose to lay it down, then that has to be something that we decide between ourselves and God. But nobody should just take anything from us. We are not garbage cans. We are created in the image of God. And we need to have that love for ourselves that God has for us, as well as the love to protect others who are being hurt. Yeah. So that and is- I realize even with me, a lot of times is, look, I grew up as an Asian American. My parents immigrate here in 1972. I was born in 1977. Whether we were picked on or whatever, or my parents will always say, put your head down, don't say anything and just keep working hard. That was how I learned. So when I used to see all these, well, it's not my problem and all that stuff, but I've had to learn how to speak up, Ingrid. And it surprises people, but I've had to learn how to say, hey, yeah, that's just not right. We, we got to deal with these things. Ingrid, I still remember, uh, I, I was doing this conference, right? And it was this major conference and we had to invite this particular pastor. And this pastor had to speak for 10 minutes and do a breakout session. Well, in two days, he racked up $10,000 in expenses. And so... His secretary sends me all this information. I afforded it. To, I said, look, that wasn't approved. I can't pay you back. So he calls me up. I'm in Houston. He calls me up on a Sunday after he preaches from a church. And he says, Tommy, let me just say this to you. Your life sucks. Your wife probably hates you. Your kids hate you. You probably have no friends. So let me just do you a favor. Get on social media. Apologize for disrespecting me. And then I will forgive you. If not, I'll make your miserable life more miserable than it is right now. And so I really realized that a lot of times you're going to deal with that. And it is surprising how many people within the Christian space that I've had to deal with to the point that my former English pastor walked away because he says, Tommy, how do you have hope? Because I lost hope a long time ago. Wow. That's, yeah, losing hope, that's painful. So, yeah, yeah. So the, I think the, the question is, how do we deal with people like that? I would love to hear, what did you go on social media and tell, tell everybody what he told you? <laughs> no, no. I say, hey, look, we're going to have to talk through some of those different things because, number one, I'm not paying those invoices because yeah. that was never agreed. And whether, whatever you say to me at the same time, we're not dealing with this. So I, I think we left. Uh, we haven't talked to each other again, but I realized a lot of times the worst thing I could do is just, oh, I'm so sorry and all that. I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. Yeah. 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 When we recognize something is wrong, it is important to not be afraid. Um, and, you know, I, I love the scripture that says, you know, uh, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, but cursed is the one who trusts in man who tries to make yeah. flesh his arm. And so when we're trusting, uh, putting our trust in people, we have to recognize, yes, absolutely. As you say, people are going to do wrong, very wrong things toward us. Yeah. And we are not supposed to cow down under it or be afraid of them. 
uh, it doesn't, we don't go on social media and blast people. You know, that's a big mistake from <laughs> that so many people do, but just to deal frankly with people. But if we can be people of integrity, uh, I, I love recently, I was looking at the scripture where Jesus uh, said, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. And so I looked in the Greek, the word wise as a serpent, and I re recognized that that wise as a serpent is using the same words as the Septuagint, the Greek translation of Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other animal in the field. So Jesus is saying, we need to understand that, um, that there is a serpent, that there, that there is craftiness, there is evil out there. And we need to not be taken by surprise by those schemes. So be as crafty, understand the craftiness of the serpent, of Satan and people who are not walking in God's ways, even if it's just momentarily, but we still maintain our integrity. We maintain our innocence and we do what is right in the face of this evil. But we don't let the evil take us by surprise. We try not to. And if it does, we still stand up to it. Yeah, yeah. One a guy who recently passed, uh, Tim Keller, Ingrid, is one of the things I appreciate about him is his ability to dialogue and to listen. And you never caught Tim just going off on people on social media. But there were so many stories that I read in all these articles, not just Christians, but those who are not Christians as well, too, who talked about that whenever I disagreed, I criticized Tim. Tim will call me up and says, help me understand. Let me understand where you're coming from. He says, and whether it was the Buddhist or the Muslim or so-and-so or the uh, this atheist, they said, we appreciate the fact that he just did that. And for, and for us as Christ followers, we just got to do some of those things. Yes. And, and dialogue, you know, I, I love that you brought up that example because we, we as Christians need to set that example in all of our cultures of how to have dialogue with people that we disagree with, people with different perspectives, different views and different backgrounds. And because when Jesus told us, they will know you're our, that you are my disciple by your love. And I realized that it's, it's so hard for the world to love, to show respect, to show mm -hmm. value for another person when they disagree with them. But that is yeah. what we're called to do. So, but we can still disagree, and we must. But yeah. to be able yeah. to do that with respect, still, still respecting the dignity of another, but not allowing them to run over us or yeah. cancel us or anything like that. But and last thing, Ingrid is, but how do you not get disenchanted, especially a lot of times when you're just dealing with Christian leaders and you're hurt by some of the evil? Like for instance, Jesus invested into Judas, only to be betrayed by Judas. How do you stay positive? How do you continue to see hope and not get disenchanted? Because I, I know that God actually is good and that God does love. He values every single person and every person is broken. And as long as they're still alive, I believe there's still some hope for them to change. So they may never. And it might not be my responsibility to change them, but I am not going to allow myself to be changed into a darkened person, a, a dark personality. I'm not going to uh, lose hope because I have a God of hope. I worship a God of hope that I have, I have seen how God has transformed my life so dramatically and has brought me through so many different hardships. And so I have so much hope for myself and I've seen how God has brought so many other people through in my family, friends, people that I talk to. I have seen how God, just those encounters with Jesus Christ, those encounters with God can dramatically change a life. And so I will always have hope because God is a God of hope 
faith, hope, and love. These are the greatest of all things. This is what we can bring into a situation. We can bring hope. We can bring faith. We can bring love. And the word agape from, from the, uh, the Greek, it means to highly value, to greatly esteem. So we can bring that into a circumstance. When I can bring that into a circumstance, if a person chooses not to uh, go along with that, if a person chooses to be dark or lie or bring evil, then fine, they can leave the room, but I'm going to bring the the qualities and characteristics of God. Jesus brought hope for the world. And he says, you choose. If you don't choose me, there's the door. So we bring that hope. We bring the hope and the salvation, the redemption of God. Everywhere we go, we give people an opportunity to either say, yes, I want that, or else there's the door. Thank you very much, Ingrid. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I'm looking forward to reading your book when it comes out. Thank you so much, Tommy. It's been great talking with you. Talk soon.